0: Log Talk Radio. Good evening everyone and welcome to another special edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show uh, here on blogtalkradio.com. Uh, the the uh, United States Spends National Team, <coughs> excuse me, um, they get a 1-1 draw down in Kingston at the office against Jamaica. They walk away with a point, but the argument we're going to see here in this one basically is simply this many of you have felt that this should have been a loss for the u.s men's national team they should have lost this one by a final of two to one but not so not the case it is a one one draw and the united states at the moment remains in first place of the octagon at fifth points as that is now officially done and the rest of the groups tonight the rest of the matches will be beginning very very shortly here and of course you can watch it on your paramount plus app moving forward but once again it's just You can definitely say it's a tale of two halves. It's definitely a tale of two halves here after a raucous opening 45 that saw one great goal and one bomb from the other side. And then as soon as the second half begins, the United States just could not seem to bring back that intensity for that second half. And all you can really say is a missed opportunity. That This was a missed opportunity for the United States to have a commanding lead in the octagonal standings. And now we're going to have to wait and see what's going to happen with Panama as they host El Salvador. What Canada is going to do against Mexico up at Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton. And of course, what Costa Rica is going to do against Honduras at their national stadium in San Jose, but all you can say is is that they got lucky on a poor officiating call from the referee, and honestly, if VAR was installed if VAR did come into play, well then, all you can really say is, is that that Foul call would have been overturned, and Jamaica would have won the match. It is just hard to fathom and it's hard to handle something like this when you are watching this national team going from a major high, defeating Mexico two goals to nil, dos o cero, and then you come down to Jamaica and they, they, you know, this was the thing you worried about with this team. Regardless of them missing both Miles Robinson and Weston McKinney due to suspension on either straight red or yellow card accumulation, regardless of that, you were hoping that there would never be a letdown. You were hoping there was going to be no letdown in this one, and at first, there wasn't. They came out roaring out of the gate. They were attacking. They were doing wonderful things with the ball. They were starting off strong. They were starting off well. They were starting off like they were basically huffing and puffing down a house of cards. And they were saying, we are going to knock them out off of their own pitch. And when Tim Weah scored that goal, you're thinking to yourself, oh, my God. The kids are coming out like gangbusters. They're attacking. They're playing hard. They're playing strong. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it all falls apart in the second half. Now, granted, that goal from 34 yards out from Jamaica was a hell of a shot. Surprised everyone, including myself. Didn't think that was going to happen, but it did. Came out of nowhere. And, you know, that's a shot you can't stop, even if you are Zach Steffen, who's only played four matches this entire season. But I really thought that they were going to just... You know, let that roll off their back. They're going to score a second. They're going to definitely look like a powerhouse out there. I thought they were going to come out and just dominate the rest of the game. That goal came. It kind of, you know, knocked them down a little bit. But I didn't think that they lost uh, their nerve. I didn't think they lost any... uh, any speed, any, you know, gumption. And then all of a sudden, we get to the second half to start. And now you wonder, where did this go? Where did this happen? How did this happen? Why did they lose their nerve? Why did they lose their energy? How is this possible? It did. It happened. And you also have to question the substitutions made by Greg Berhalter by taking out both Tim Weah and Eunice Musa out of that midfield. Because the truth is, or at least to take those two out of the equation, and the truth is, they were doing very well. I mean, this is not a three-match window. This is a regular... Typical two-match window in November that, you know, you don't have to worry about playing a third game. You don't have to worry about managing minutes. All you have to do, go out, play strong, play how you want to play, go forward, and then everything will be just fine. And listen, Jamaica, regardless of where they are in the octagonal standings, Regardless of where they are, still not a strong team this season. And yet, you allow them to go out and basically just let them have their way in the entire second half. I thought the substitutions made by Berhalter were wrong. I didn't think he did a good... I thought he didn't do a good job in the the substitutions department in this one. And they lost their energy. I mean, there's nothing you can do when you've got Weston McKenney suspended. There's nothing you can do when you have Miles Robinson suspended. You have to go out and you have to try your best with the roster you have. And... To pull out certain players, which I thought were the wrong ones, you pulled out of the out of the game. In all fairness, I thought were the wrong subs. They made the wrong moves. Halter made the wrong moves to pull them out, and that's and that's all you can say. Um, and you know, reading on Twitter about that second goal by Jamaica. Let's dive into that right now. You know, it came off the far side corner. It looked like it was a clean play. Foul was called because apparently, I guess, the referee thought he saw a foul being created from the Jamaican attacker fouling uh, Walker Zimmerman for the, his reaction and he call and he blows the whistle for the foul, saying he was shoved, saying that he was um pulled down, held down, and everything and normally in a you know in a position like that, you rarely see it being called a foul i mean I remember how back in the two thousand and two world cup in the quarterfinals against Germany, that's how the Germans scored their goal against the U.S. You got a German player who basically uses the momentum where he has his hands on the shoulder of the defender, leapt in the air, headed the ball in. I think it was Michael Ballack who did that, but I could be wrong if I can remember who it was then. But still, though, you have to say that This was almost like the same situation uh, involving Jamaica. And, you know, there was no foul called on the Germans when they scored the goal. But there was a foul called here. And normally, as Maurice Du said, of course, analyzing the match for CBS Sports slash Paramount Plus app, you know, that never gets called. How that got? Ah, uh, just a bullet. But if VAR is in play, if they were in play, that's probably reviewed, and that's probably called back and said, you know what? You're gonna have to remove the foul because that looks like a goal. And then the referee has no choice but to go and say, yep, you're right, because he's looking at it as the the uh, review room, the replay room. Watches it with him, and they tell him, look, you're going to have to – this is a goal. You made a mistake. Okay, there you go. It's a goal. And so basically Jamaica loses a goal. The United States dodges a bullet. They end the match with a point, yet you have this funny feeling or sinking feeling that they should have dropped all three points. Not just the two that they lost, but they should have lost the third one, and Jamaica should have had a home win in this one. And it's really, really just a hard pill to swallow after an amazing opening 45 that you saw brilliance personified in this one. It's just hard to imagine and, and hard to believe that Our boys got a break. They got a huge break in this matchup. When it comes to the goal not being uh, allowed because of a, if you want to say it's a phantom foul, you can say whatever you want. That's fine. You can say uh, that this one was just, you know, hard luck on Jamaica. You say whatever you want. And even the handball in the first half that should have been called and it wasn't. And even though it was, uh, in, you know, it, it was informed that it should have been a handball by some of you, of course, as I follow you on Twitter, um, Christina Uncle, who is the uh, pro referee rules adjudicator, uh, who basically, you know, gave her two cents, saying that's not a penalty, that should not even be considered a review. If there was VAR, that should not be considered a penalty at all because the arm is in the natural position, even though the the player leaned into the ball. But the arm is in a natural position, and it hit the shoulder. You know, that's the one where you have to say that looks more like hand to ball than ball to hand. But once again, um, you know, once again, it's it's just a question of the situation in front of us, you know, what is considered a handball and what's not. If that's off the shoulder, so be it. But, you know, if you're intentionally playing it like that, then isn't that an intentional way of playing it as a handball because you're intentionally going after the ball, even though your arm is in a natural position. And, you know, more questions than answers, I guess, even though I'll go with Christina uncle on this one that, you know, I will, I will go with her to say that's not considered uh, a penalty and I will go along with that one. So if you want to say one, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> if you want, you know, is basically you know one out of two, then I'll go along with that. But honestly, um, I will go with Christina uncle on the non handball call as she described it perfectly. But once again, the situation here is, is that this is still a growing group. These young players are still growing. Um, they need to prove once again, that they need to do better on the road. Uh, one win so far on the road is, uh, Four matches, and of course their only win was a comeback victory in Honduras when they were down by a goal to nil at the end of the first half. You know, Drew at El Salvador, lost in Panama, now drawn in Jamaica. So as of right now, like I said, I'm just going to go with at the moment they have a win, a loss, and two draws on the road. At home, they haven't lost There are three wins and a a draw at home. Of course, the draw should never have happened against Canada in Nashville. But once again, what are you going to do? And as of right now, um, for the U.S. men's national team, there's still some learning going on. There's still some growing pains going on here. And And you know what? That's fine. That's fine. But I think the real question is, what is Greg Berhalter doing about this? What is he trying to teach them? What is he trying to do to put them in a better position to win the game? What can he do to put them in a better position to win the game? And I think that's the number one question right now, if you talk about Greg Berhalter as a head coach for this men's national team. Uh, And once again, it's just questionable when – you are thinking about how they're going to progress. And I think so far they've done that. I think they have progressed nicely. But once again, as a head coach, what are you doing to putting them in a position to win? What are you doing putting them into a position to win in a most hostile environment? And I'll be honest, the office in Kingston, Jamaica is not a hostile environment. Being over there in Jamaica is not a hostile environment at all. Yes, there were fans for the very first time in a long time, of course, since the whole coronavirus situation happened. Only 5,000 fans, a couple of them. Of course, uh, a smattering of them are American fans that were able to travel down to Kingston, Jamaica. Good for them. But in all honesty, in all honesty, I truly believe... That you're only as good as your manager puts you into a position to win. CONCACAF is still a hard place to play when you are on the road. No matter who you are or where you come from within this region. And as of right now, as of right now, this confederation is improving itself. You can see it. There's still some issues here and there obviously when it comes to the uh, the Caribbean zone. Obviously Honduras is falling really fast. They're falling it down, they're falling apart especially at home where they've had leads and then they've dropped them at home and that is basically a situation where, you know, they have to reinvent themselves now because usually Honduras is very dangerous at home in San Pedro Sula but once again, um, you know, you can't assume that, you know, your crowd is going to be the one to get you out of there. And the Stadio Cuscastalan, um, you know, the, proxip, the, the close proximity of the fans to the field, uh, you know, with all the, the fencing in and everything, you know, you got to go down there. you got to take on a team where, you know, They're very gritty and they play very tough. We all know about the history of the Azteca. That's an automatic. And now Canada is now coming into the fray, which I'm happy about because as much as, you know, you don't want to play against a team that is going to be, you know, they're always going to be an advantage if they don't do well. But once again, it's a situation where you got to take advantage of where you are on the road and not just take advantage of them at home. You need to go out there and you need to perform. And now look at what Canada is doing and how they're doing it. You know, they are probably more dangerous now than they've ever been. And the only time they've been to the World Cup is back in 1986, down in Mexico at the second attempt. So still, though, there's still some things going to ha- that Canada needs to do to get themselves in a position to be better. But you know, once again, it, it's just hard. This confederation is still hard to play in when you are on the road. And at the same time, the field conditions are intentionally that bad when you go south of Mexico because not every stadium, you know, south of Mexico will be in pristine condition. You know, you're lucky enough that you're playing in stadiums in the United States, whether they're MLS stadiums or NFL stadiums, and they have a grass. Field that they re- they keep it in a pristine level. At the same time, at the same time, when you go to BMO Field, when you go to Stad Saputo, not counting uh, BC Place in Vancouver, where you are facing, uh, uh, you know, an opposition or against Canada. Where you're playing on a pristine pitch, most of the you know the majority of the pitches in Mexico, all the pitches in Mexico, are pristine, especially at the Azteca. But anytime you go south of Mexico into Central America, or down even in the Caribbean, it gets hairy. And Jenny Chu of CBS Sports, well, you know on the on the Paramount Plus app, she said that there are divots in you know un, you know under the grass. That's intentional. There are divots. Why? Because the, uh, the attempt is for the Jamaicans, they want to play on a field that is an advantage to them. Is it right? No. But, you know, what are you going to do? There's nothing you can do about it, and there's nothing you can say about it. <clears throat> you have to understand what is going on when it comes to World Cup qualification. And when it's that big of a deal, they're going to try anything and everything to put an end to a big run that the United States is on right now. Three matches unbeaten. And honestly, it it shouldn't have been this. It should have been a three-match winning streak. But unfortunately, this is what it is these days. This is how you drop two points when you are on the road. It's just been hard to watch that second half. And then the substitutions, you know, were even more worse. Now, before we continue on with the match, you know, I want to once again be clear about this. I know I may had a rant on Twitter and that's fine, but I want to be clear with everyone about this. And I and I'm being serious here. When it comes to World Cup qualifying, I rate World Cup qualifying as the highest level of soccer, the highest level of football out of a out of a con, a confederational championship, a nations league championship even a Confederations Cup championship when it was around. This is the highest level of competition that our players are, you know, they have to basically play in. And it's really a big deal. When you have a goalkeeper playing, not just training, playing first team minutes in the match, train all you want. I don't care how many times he's facing shots of great players, whether they come from South America, they come from Africa, they are from within Europe. I don't care. You want to win the training uh, season title, then Zach Steffen's done it. He's won the training season title for the last three, four, five seasons at Manchester City because I want him to be this full-time starter week in, week out. And when I say this, it means that I give a damn about how our goalkeepers are playing that they are on form. They're in form, and they're ready, and their reflexes are strong. Their mental sharpness, you know, should be like at the snap of the fingers. And, I'll, and you have to admit, outside of the Mexico game, where he only made like two big saves, Zach Steffen had a decent game but even on the goal that was disallowed he didn't look like he paid attention on a moment where he came way off his line and left his net empty granted it wasn't enough on the shot to put that ball into the back of the net i'm making is decision making is just as important to be fully mentally sharp than it is when it's only just physicality sharp, acrobatic sharp, everything. Everything must be on point. Because if he's lacking in any section of his game, in this one, then... What does that say about the decision of Greg Berhalter to use Zach Steffen? I don't care about training. I don't care. It's good that he trains, but is he the starting goalkeeper every single week in the Premier League? He knows his he knows his, the tendencies of his teammates. He has to go out there and know the tendencies of the opponents. And that's not once every while whenever there's a League Cup match or an FA Cup match. How is it possible that Zach Steffen has only played four games this season? And one of them is in the Premier League. One! 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 This is Greg Burhalter playing with fire. And he got burnt a little bit against Costa Rica and Columbus. I want Ethan Horvath to be starting at Nottingham Forest, but yet he's not starting. He's the backup. When does he start? I want people to understand something here. And you need to understand that we have all these players playing in Europe. Defenders, midfielders, creative players, attackers, strikers. It's wonderful. Goalkeepers at the same time. But when is Pep Guardiola going to use Stefan full time? When? That's the question mark I have. You have to answer that question right now. You complain too much about too many MLS American players in a starting 11. Okay? Fine. Complain about that? Go ahead and complain about it because you know what? You've got no right to complain about it, period. Okay? Because it doesn't matter where they come from, domestic or abroad. Does not matter. If they are considered an international player, they are an international player, and you should be proud of that. We all know that our players need to make the move to Europe, and that's fine. Or go to South America, that's fine. Hell, even play in Mexico if you want to, that's fine. But if they're not going to get the proper minutes to be a starter, well then they shouldn't be playing. I keep saying this all the time. Send Zach Steffen on loan to an English club, whether it be in the Championship League, Football League One, Football League Two, or any of the other leagues below the top four leagues of England. Let him earn his minutes. And if that does happen, he'll be on the national team. And once again, if you put him out on loan, Manchester City does not have to put out there with a chance to buy him. You can put him on loan without a purchase to buy. Without. It has been done before in the past. Okay? Because... All I care about is seeing Zach Steffen being a starter somewhere so that he can be the true number one goalkeeper of this national team. Matt Turner has had an amazing season with the Revolution. Oh, no, MLS is not really a strong leveled league because this is not where our players should be. No, this is where our players are growing into. They need their minutes somewhere to be considered to play in Europe. Do you understand this? Yeah, we're grateful enough that Pulisic and Reyna and Hoppe were able to go to Europe because they didn't have to play in MLS. Because they were discovered. Because they also had a dual passport to go play abroad. Gio Reyna was in the Academy of NYCFC because his father Claudio was the sporting director. Because everybody knows Claudio plays, or he did play, in Europe. Even in Scotland. For Rangers. Cannot have an argument with somebody where all you're doing is, well, he's a world-class keeper. He has to play in the Premier League because the Premier League is the best league in the world. That's what has to happen. Good. Get some starting minutes. But he has started. No. It's a spot start. Ederson is the full-time starter. He gets training minutes. That's not enough. Greg Berhalter, right now, in the goalkeeping position is intentionally screwing it up. Intentionally screwing it up. He's causing a controversy for no reason. Nothing would make me happier than to see Zach Steffen be the number one goalkeeper. As I've always said this, I don't, ever say I'm going, I'm not going against Zach Steffen. I never, I'm not going against him. I never said I hated his positioning. I never said I hated his footwork. I never said this. All the little needless arguments that you schmucks want to have about Matt Turner. Oh, his positioning's bad. Oh, his positioning's terrible. His footwork is atrocious. Where? Where is it atrocious? Tell me where. You know what's even worse, and what and what does Zach Steffen do? Turner doesn't do. Matt Turner stays inside his area, stays near his goal line. Zach Steffen meanders all over the place. He does too much. He does too much. And he puts himself into trouble. What did Matt Turner do to deserve to get dropped? Starting position. What did he do to deserve that? Nowhere. It's because he's not Zach Steffen. That's the problem. When you're a national team goalkeeper, you cannot screw around. When you're the national team head coach, you cannot screw around. If you want to put in Zach Steffen for a friendly, fine. You want to put in Zach Steffen because you think he deserves to have a Gold Cup opportunity, fine. This is a World Cup qualifier, ladies and gentlemen. And if you're going to start making these stupid arguments because it fills your need to feel good about an American player being overseas and not from MLS then that's your fault that's your stupidity I'm being practical I am being someone with common sense that knows what needs to happen Bruce Arena would never do this as much as you may hate him Bruce Arena would never do this. Even Jurgen Klinsmann would never do this. Bob Bradley would never do this. Bora Militinovich would never do this. Any sane manager in world football would never, ever do this. Even Sven Goran Eriksson would never do this. Neville would never do this. Do you understand what I'm saying? Deschamps would never do this. Tata Martino would never do this. This would never happen to Guillermo Ochoa or to Oliver Kahn or Peter Schmeichel or Jens Lehmann or David James or... Jose Chilavert, Tim Howard, Brad Friedel, Casey Keller, Tony Miola. This would never happen. Tim Howard would never happen to him. Oswaldo Sanchez, it would never happen to him. Do you understand what I'm explaining to you? The great goalkeepers of world football would never, ever be treated like this because they get clubs, whether it be domestically or internationally or abroad for a club side. They would never ever be treated like this because they've earned their spots okay and if that's not enough for you to understand this then we as a fan base are the biggest jokes in the history of world football Because no one's going to take us seriously. No one. And this is what happens when someone asks you a question about why do you think Zach Steffen, why do you think a backup deserves to be a starter right now? Well, yeah, I know he's not really starting every single week, but we still think he's a world-class goalkeeper. But he's only played four matches. Yeah, but we still think he's playing with one of the best clubs in the world. But but isn't the isn't the starting goalkeeper for Manchester City Ederson? Yeah, but we still though. I mean he you know it's CONCACAF, Calf, it's not that strong. I think he you can do it here. No. No. People will give you the you know, people will look twice at you and think you've got five heads. Simple. I don't care if they play in MLS, I don't care if they play in the USL, I don't care if they play in the NPSL, I don't care if they play in the UPSL, I don't care if they play on Mars. They better be playing in England. They better be playing in Germany, in France, in Italy, in Spain. Because as long as they get the minutes, as long as they're the first team goalkeeper, that's the most important thing. I don't care. Think and use the brain power you have. And that's all I'm saying. It's not that hard. Okay? Not that hard. But the one thing I want to talk about in this one, and I want to go back into the match now. My God, Tim Weah. That's what he can do when he's a thousand percent healthy and when he has the ball on his feet. How he attacks the net, what he's capable of doing is unbelievable. I have never seen a player On the U.S. men's national team that can take the ball, dribble it, and being defended by three to four different defenders. And he hasn't lost the ball. And then he cuts into a lane. And then he finds a way to destroy it past the goalkeeper. That goal in the 11th minute was all way up. Granted, he got uh, Ricardo Pepe got an assist out of it. But that particular goal was sensational. All we needed was for him to be 1,000% healthy. And look what he can do with that ball. I know you're going to go on YouTube all night. You're going to watch that goal again what he was able to do with that ball, how he was able to dress down all the defenders on Jamaica. My goodness, he was unreal. Unreal. And it was amazing. He was amazing. Amazing. I could not believe what I saw. I just couldn't believe it. And what a goal that was. I had to pinch myself maybe twice when he put it into the back of the net. Because I didn't think it was in the back of the net. I thought it was wide. But wow, what a goal. And to hit it off the inside of the near post and into the back of the net, that's even more sensational. The son of George Weah coming up huge and doing some damage and doing a job. Incredible. But you have to say what a goal it was from Jamaica, especially in the 20-second uh, minute by Michael Antonio from 34 yards out. That's a ball. <laughs> Excuse me. That's a ball you really cannot fault Zach Stefanon. on. Can't fault him for that one. You really, really can't. Zach Steffen got beat cleanly. You're not expecting it to go on frame. It did. And once again, it was just an amazing thing to see him going out there. Mr. Antonio... To drill that ball all the way from downtown. Way downtown. Oh my goodness. Highlight goal. Two highlight goals in this one. And once again, we all know about that second goal for Jamaica that should have been converted. Uh, Should have been a goal. Should have stood. But uh, many more questions there on that one. But all you can really say, honestly is that this was a match where, uh, you know, the United States gets lucky that they did not drop all three points. Only got one at the moment. And it's just they were lucky enough to, uh, you know, walk out of Kingston with a point. Because they should have been the, the victors here. They should have played better. They should have done more in the second half than they did in the first half. But they did they could they just couldn't do it. And it's really, really a shame to see uh to see that happen. Anyway, uh we have some finals uh of course and some qualified teams already going to Qatar. Uh, we have from Group A, Serbia they defeat Portugal, so they take the group position, uh, win for A. Uh, Serbia advances. Spain advances out of B. Switzerland advances out of C. France advances out of D. And uh, down in F, uh, Belgium, excuse me, E, Belgium uh, get, wins the group. Denmark in F wins the group. Uh, in G, the Netherlands uh, advances. Excuse me, yep, GH, Croatia wins the group. I and J, of course, uh, England wins the group. And in J, Germany, of course, wins the group. And, uh, of course, we got some playoff European teams getting ready to go in Europe. We'll get to those at another time. And uh, we'll worry about that uh, when we get closer to the uh, international uh, playoffs there, of course. Uh, Right now, Conmebol Brazil, they have stamped their ticket to Qatar, so they are the first ones to go to, to Qatar from uh, South America, economy ball, 32 points right now. Uh, other games are being played as we speak. Advancing to the second round in Africa, in CAF, we have Algeria winning their group. We have Tunisia winning their group. We have uh, Nigeria winning their group. We have, of course, that's A, B, C, and D. It's Cameroon. E is Mali in F. We have Egypt, and then in G, we have Ghana, H, we have Senegal, I, we have Morocco going into the third final round, and then uh, in J is the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, and so those are the ten groups. Winners going into the final round, which will be a goal aggregate series to advance to the next round of FIFA World Cup qualifying. Asia right now, uh, no one has qualified yet. There are four matches remaining. Uh, That's going to be played in both January and March windows for Asia. But currently in the positions for automatic qualification in Group A, it's Iran and South Korea. And in B, it's Saudi Arabia and Japan in their respective positions for the third-place game as of right now. United Arab Emirates out of Group A, and they will be facing off against Australia uh, from Group B. Uh, at the moment, Oceania has not had a World Cup qualification uh, setup done just yet. And as of right now, of course, as we go back to CONCACAF right now, one-one draw between Jamaica and the United States that ended uh, just at least 45 minutes ago or a little less than that, a little more than that. And coming up next in CONCACAF World Cup qualification, the rest of the schedule right now as we have Panama hosting, El Salvador, at, and uh, Costa Rica hosting, Honduras. That starts at 8.05 Eastern Time, so very, very soon, in about nine-plus minutes or so, that will be underway. And then, of course, at 9.05 Eastern, um, 7.05 Mountain, over in oil country in, in northern Alberta, Over in Edmonton at Commonwealth Stadium, that's going to be the big one. Uh, Also, you know, Canada hosting Mexico. They had the 1-1 draw at the Azteca. So now it's time for the uh, Canadians to see what they can do uh, at home against El Tri. And once again, all these matches you can watch uh, through the Paramount Plus app. You can also go uh, online, watch it on your computer on ParamountPlus.com. Uh, that should be a fun one as well. And, you know, this is the biggest moment in Canada's World Cup qualifying history. You know, you've got a big home match against Mexico. And this is huge. This is huge. Got to go out there. Got to find a way To perform and do well. Got to go out there and do the job possible for Canada. And, you know, don't sleep on Canada. Don't assume Canada is going to be a pushover. Because, honestly, Canada has been coming. And what John Herdman has done has been amazing the belief that he has put into the heads of his players, the belief that he has shown them that they can go and do a job, they have done so tremendously. And all you can say is is that with a manager like that, which at the time I thought it was a poor decision when they hired Tavio Zambrano, to be their manager for the national team. And then, of course, John Herdman comes out of nowhere and says, well, I'm leaving the women's game, and if you're not going to bring me to do the men's game, then it's just not worth it. But all I can tell you, folks, all you can say is this. John Herdman has done the job. John Herdman has seriously come out of nowhere, puts this team in position to try and win one of the top three spots to automatically go to the World Cup. And this is what happens when you have A guy like that, that brings energy, that brings belief, that brings you the opportunity to get to a World Cup. You cannot mess around like this. You cannot mess around like this at all. So all you can say is, John Herdman has done an amazing job for the Canadian women's national team, and he has also done a fantastic job for the Canadian men's national team. So now, here is the upcoming schedule for the U.S. men's national team in friendlies and in World Cup qualifying. On December 18th at 6 o'clock Eastern, which will be over in Carson, California at the Dignity Health Sports Park, at 6 o'clock Eastern, 3 o'clock Pacific on Fox Sports One, Unimas, and TUDN, the U.S. men's national team will have a friendly against Bosnia-Herzegovina. And then we get to World Cup qualifying. In the end of January of 2022, as the United States will host El Salvador. Then they will travel on Sunday, January the 30th, travel up to Canada to take, to take on Canada. Um, where that match will be, we do not know yet. And then on thir- uh, Wednesday, February 2nd, the United States... We'll be hosting Honduras. We don't know uh, where these matches will be played yet. Uh, as I've heard through Twitter, through the grapevine, uh, the United States is waiting on the Canada soccer to inform the USA where the home match will be played. Uh, I'm hoping at least BMO Field. If not, hopefully Stade Saputo in Montreal. Um, Not saying Edmonton would not be a great place, but then again, that's going to be on that horrible turf. But let Mexico play on that horrible turf. But, um, you know, if they go to BMO Field, it'll be interesting and amazing. Uh, Like I said, I wouldn't mind Stad Saputo. Uh, But then again, it might not be Stad Saputo. If they go to Montreal, they go inside the, uh, the Olympic Stadium. So that would be interesting to watch. And then, of course, as I said, February 2nd on a Wednesday, USA hosting Honduras. We'll find out when. And then, of course, in March, the final three qualifiers in March, the United States will be on the road in Mexico on the 24th of March. They'll finish up their home schedule against Panama on Sunday, March 27th. And then on Wednesday night, March the 30th, the United States will finish up their schedule and the road schedule Uh, over at the National Stadium in San Jose against Costa Rica, against the Picos. So maybe they qualify well before they get to uh, Costa Rica and back down to Central America. But uh, look, these are not gimmies. None of these games are gimmies. These are hard-fought matches. And once again... You just have to just sit back and watch what happens. And all you got to say is, is that this is still a long, hard fought road. The journey is going to be difficult. But I've been enjoying the Octagon. We're enjoying watching them perform at a high level. They have to do better on the road. But once again, this is what World Cup qualifying looks like when you are facing these opponents at their homes. And I would like to see the U.S. Soccer Federation try and schedule some friendlies within the confines of CONCACAF. I think it would be a lot better for them. I think it would be 10 million times better for them if they play these same opponents on their turf in a friendly and hopefully CONCACAF can rotate the CONCACAF Gold Cup in the future. But once again, question marks have been uh, brought out. I think we have some answers. I think we still have some questions. But once again, the United States are lucky lucky. They walk out of Kingston with a point. They leave the office with a point. And right now, still in first place with 15 points. And let's see what happens if Mexico and Canada is going to be an exciting match to watch. (coughs) Score once again, the United States ends the match in a 1-1 draw against Jamaica. This is Daniel Foyerstein. Join me next time for MLS Cup playoff review show. Once the opening round is done, we'll get underway and have some fun. As always, please enjoy your football, and thank you for listening. This has been my USA at Jamaica post-match show for World Cup qualification. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight, and as always, please enjoy your football. And once again, final score, United States 1, Jamaica 1, down at the office in Kingston. Have a good night, take care so long, and bye-bye for now. Paramount Plus for the rest of the CONCACAF qualification matches.